after Easter, after we get through, you know, the rest of the story, this beautiful story of Easter, after Easter we'll start a series on the most important chapters of the Bible. Genesis chapters 1 through 11. From creation, or you might know it as the fall of man, to the great flood of Noah. It's not just, creation itself is not just another sort of idea of how we came to be. It is a world view that undermines every other thing in the Bible. Perhaps the most important chapters of all the Bible, Genesis 1 through 11, we'll look at them in time to come after Easter. This planet we live on is much like a terrarium. It is what scientists call a closed system. It neither gains nor loses matter. And in this great universe of countless stars and endless space, the earth is a unique sanctuary of life. A German astronomer, Hans Bloomberg, stated, and this goes back sometime, 1975, but around the same time, just to pick it out of the context, he wrote, the combined circumstance that we live in this closed system and yet are able to see the stars. Now think about it. We live in this protected planet. And yet with this, it is remarkable that we can still see the stars. This is because the medium in which we live, on the one hand, is just thick enough to enable us to breathe and yet to prevent us from being burned up by cosmic rays, while on the other hand, it's not so opaque as to absorb entirely the light of the stars and block any view of the universe. You go out at night and see the stars. What a fragile balance between the indispensable and the sublime. Jonathan Luhlin, again, just to pick somebody out of history and the context, described what they have learned from space exploration. All the discoveries that have been made about the solar system have shown how special and how unique the Earth is. It is wonderful to have humans who can build a machine that can tell us such wonderful things about such strange and exotic places as we learn these things. We see more and more truthfulness of the old biblical adage, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth. Night after night, they display knowledge. Isaac Newton understood it hundreds of years ago with much less evidence than we have today. Newton argued that the reason, that reason itself is the best hypothesis for design. This most beautiful system of sun, planets, and comets, he wrote, could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Unintentionally, for all the exploration, for all the scientific facts that have been discovered, modern science has confirmed that life on this planet like ours, Earth, could not have started by mere chance. The complex building blocks of the simplest living cells that we have discovered in their in their lower and lower forms, proteins, DNA, molecular machines, simply do not allow for random assembly, even over long periods of time. It just simply is absurd 
to believe. Fractal geometry, some of you may know. And you can divide, take anything in the world and divide it, subdivide it, divide it into its lower and lower and lowest forms that you can discover. And what will you always find? Not random chance, but you'll find design at every level. According to Dr. Austin uh, Clark, previously of the Smithsonian Institute, he wrote, there's no evidence which would show man developing step by step from lower forms of life or from monkeys. And that each group is a special, distinct creation. Now, despite this fact, the common sense of science has been ignored, and so began the evolution of man's thinking relative to every other form of behavior, such as abortion and trans, whatever else you want to add to it. If a man can rid himself of a creator, his thought is to rid himself of every other associated guilt of biblical norm and personal responsibility. Before scientists ever wondered about dinosaurs, they looked to the stars. Why do you suppose it's such a big deal that we try and confirm that we're not alone in this universe and life has existed somewhere else but, uh, before us and will somewhere exist even after us? Because, again, they assume that life on Mars, or you take your planet, would help support the evolutionary theories regarding the origins of life. Mankind will always find it discomforting to think that we are alone in this universe and that man alone on earth is personally created and responsible to an almighty, omniscient, awesome God like is revealed in the Bible. There are three fundamental facts. I'll try to move through them quickly, but three fundamental truths that confirm earth as God's sanctuary of life. The first one we find right here in Romans chapter 1, and that is seven literal days of creation. Then we have the fall of man by Adam's original sin, and then the redemption that is provided by our Creator. First, the design, uh, creation by design, Romans chapter 1, down in verse 18. Romans 1, begin with verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of, of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So they can see it, they can work with it, they can do magnificent, wonderful things, but in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. It's there. How can you deny it? God has showed it unto them. The invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became what? <laughs> Fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things so you can see idols and images. Wherefore God also gave them up unto uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
Well, Andrew White, co-founder of Cornell University, he published a history, again, this goes way back in time, but he published a history of the warfare of science and theology in Christendom, attacking the authority, authoritative use of the Bible and established the philosophy of modern science and education. This is Cornell University. White painted biblical revelation as being non-scientific, unenlightening, and holding back human progress. So is it possible then to hold to biblical teaching on creation and still be a, a serious scientist? Well, again, back in history. Let me take you some examples before we became so enlightened. Galileo Galilee, right? He wrote, the Holy Scriptures and nature are both produced by the Word of God, and nature is the most obedient agent of God's ordinances. Think about that. We're the one who are given a choice in the matter. Nothing else of God's creation, except on Disney, has ever decided on its own, you know what? I think I'd like to walk on land. I'm tired of swimming in the sea. Johannes Kepler used his mathematical genius to study the chronology of Christ in the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote at great length on the absolute verbal authority of the book of Luke. Robert Boyle, and I'll come back to Luke in a second. Robert Boyle stated time and time again that his scientific writings were for the purpose of demonstrating the reasonableness and the harmony of Scripture and natural law. Isaac Newton. He wrote more about theology than he did science. Did you know that? Isaac Newton, he wrote more about theology. I don't agree with all his theology, but he wrote more about theology than he did science. And he said, if an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than what is delivered to him, let him be accursed. Of course, quoting scripture. Albert Einstein, I stand in awe of the structure of the world insofar as it allows our inadequate senses to appreciate its creator. According to Theophilus, Luke's gospel, so back to Luke, when you start thinking about creation, and then you start saying, well, the earth's not quite as old as evolutionists suggest. Theophilus, he wrote about Luke's gospel, he said, 75 generations from Adam to Jesus, about 75 generations from Adam to Jesus, and he concluded that within that period of time, the world could not be more than about 5,600 years old, 5,600 at that time. So if you add now another thousand or so after his time, so we're into the sixth, maybe seven, less than ten for sure. Augustine wrote, through reckoning by the sacred writings, we find that not six thousand years have passed since the creation of our world. It simply will not satisfy scripture. Let me say this, because I know there's going to be somebody, I've been interviewed by pastors for jobs, who said, well, you know, if creation is a non-starter for you, like, well, you know, it is kind of significant. But it simply will not satisfy Scripture to allow for great gaps of time in the Genesis record of creation. And some of you are going to try to meld the two. You can say, well, you know this, and, you know, I can take it, and I can apply it to that. And so we have gaps of time. Really? So you have gaps of time, eons of time, where you have death and destruction before sin 
ever entered in the world? You got a problem there. That's a theological problem. It simply will not satisfy the record of Scripture. Well, God did not need billions of times. In fact, God didn't even need a week to create the earth with apparent age and maturity, but God used one week for one reason. You know why that is? To establish time and order for man's existence. Just think about it for a second. We didn't have a week. I remember my dad when he was not well in his last years, and I remember he would call, in fact, I still have his message on my phone, and he said to me, son, I don't know what day of the week it is, but I'm praying for you. Now, I'm off track at that point. But imagine not knowing what, what is the day. What is the season? What are the hours? Imagine not having any order to our existence. Six days you do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that you may be refreshed. You need a day of rest. Why is that? That's, God wasn't tired. That's God's order for creation. The sun, the moon, the stars, all hung in space to confirm for us God's established order and time in this sanctuary of life called earth. Imagine what it would be like without these simple, simplest orders of time and space. No one would suppose that something as complex, sophisticated as a stopwatch or a wristwatch or a clock on the wall could just happen by chance. Neither does creation. And I could, you know, give another absurd illustration. We have, I just drove by one the other day in a, another city outside the town. You know, we have trash dumps. Just think for a second. Of all the junk that's in that trash dump, used to be useful, right? Well, if we had enough time, if enough pressure were added, maybe add a little heat to the trash pile, do you think that it could ever, on its own, become something useful. You say, Pastor, that's absurd for all kinds of other reasons. No, it cannot. It is, in my mind, it's as absurd to think that over time and chance, given enough opportunity, trial and error, that life could continue and succeed to what we have today. Well, to understand the sanctuary of life, we have to first accept God is creator, creator by design. Isaiah 43, there can be no other God beside him. Isaiah 44, God needed no other help to do his work of creation. Genesis 1 and 2, we'll look more at it later. God created man as man, woman as woman, and every other living creature. But you see, accepting creation by design makes you personally responsible to the designer which leads me to consider a second fundamental truth. And again, we'll move through these next two pretty quickly. First Corinthians, conviction, conviction that comes by default of living in this beautiful place we call earth. First Corinthians chapter 15, you know the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and rose again the third day. All of this according to the Scripture, down in verse 22. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 through 22. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since, for since by man came death, 
By man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And finally, verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, the Lord Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which was spiritual, but that which is natural. So that's Adam. And after that which is spiritual, that's the Lord Jesus and His Holy Spirit. The first Adam is of the earth earthly. The second man is the Lord, and He's from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they that are of the earth, as is the heavenly, they that are of the heaven. Now the real reason that evolution seems so appealing, it's not because it makes so much sense, but it, it is the desire that it would make sense. In other words, there's just this, this desire that we've got to have another explanation because without it, then our minds and our hearts and our spirits become guilty before a holy God who created us, and now we've made such a mess of it. It removes the guilt of original sin. By the way, that's the goal of modern education. That is the goal of modern education, to simply remove the guilt of all these Christian, religious, biblical constraints that are put upon us and just let us make our own minds up before Adam's sin there was no death and disease or killing of any creatures before God's judgment for sin by a worldwide flood the earth did not look like what it does today the upheaval of the earth is because of sin which has blinded the eyes of science and their foolish hearts are dark and we read that in Romans 1 so rather than accept the Genesis account, evolutionists would have you believe it was a little bit of water. And you've heard this before, I'm sure. It was a little bit of water over a long period of time that changed the face of the earth. But my friends, we have all seen, I just picked out some examples over the last uh, 20 years or so. But we've all seen how a, little, how a lot of water over a short period of time can swallow up this earth as we know it. Tsunamis back in Christmas of 04, New Orleans hurricane, Manila typhoon, tornadoes and volcanoes, a 7.0 earthquake in Haiti, and of course, Hurricane Sandy. Everything as you saw, you remember how they showed you these, these uh, uh, aerial views? And they would show you, here's what it looked like before, and here's what it looked like after, and they would say things like, it looks like a war zone total destruction. Imagine if all of these things happened all at once, Noah's flood, in an instant it was released and how this world would be swallowed up as we once knew it to be. Imagine if there were simultaneous events. Well, the reason for the disruption of God's created design is original sin of Adam, before which man and beast grew together, by the way, in perfect harmony, it'll be restored. The only external force that has ever invaded the sanctuary of life is Satan himself and the result of sin. Did you realize, by the way, that every time in the writings of Paul, every time Paul builds his case in defense of the gospel, 
Do you know what he always begins with and what he always builds upon? Creation. Creation. He always starts with Genesis chapters 1 and following. Created man has the instinctive knowledge of a creator. That's just, it's instinctive. It really is. For example, when Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, I've been there, I've seen it, I've read the scripture. Just imagine, man who knows instinctively that there must be something greater, and they build an image to this God, and an image to that God, an image to another God, and surely there's something we don't yet know, so they build another image to an unknown God. So in Athens, he says, I found an altar with this inscription. Acts chapter 17, to the unknown God, whom you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. He is God that made the world and all things therein. He is not to be worshipped with men's hands, so these, these uh, altars and idols, as though he needed anything, seeing he gave all life and breath and all things, for as much then as we are the offspring of, of God, he now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's Paul calling men to repentance through this unknown God that he's introducing to them as who? The Creator. The Creator. Pascal, Augustine, I don't know where the first quote comes from. I read it from Oswald Chambers. And he said that within the heart of every man is a God-shaped vacuum. And men will find no rest until they find their rest in the Lord who made heaven and earth. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And death is passed upon all men, because all have sinned. By one man's offense, death reigned over all. Romans 5. Well, creation by design reveals to us conviction by default of sin, which then brings us to the cross, which is our only defense. Colossians chapter 1. I pick it up with verse 12 down through verse 22. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers, fitting to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created. By him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father, that in him should be all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Paul again presenting the gospel and beginning where it all began. 
with the creator of all things. When Paul preached Christ crucified unto the Jews, it was a stumbling block. Why? Because they didn't believe in Jesus, the creator, as Messiah. And unto the Greeks, it was foolishness. Why? Because in particular, they didn't believe in Jesus as creator. Understand that evolution is not just an alternate theory of origins. Evolution is a world view. And if you accept any part of the evolutionary theory, it waters down the gospel of Jesus Christ and makes this church and the gospel preached at any other church unacceptable by the world and foolishness. I believe if you accept any theory, any theory, that waters down the creation of the world by God himself, you equally water down the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For people who understand the gospel, they have to understand sin. In order to understand sin, people must understand their connection to Adam as God's original, perfect design. Let me make it clear. Jesus Christ does not have the right to be our Redeemer simply because of His good intentions that we read about in the Gospels, but because He is the Creator. In the beginning was the Word, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the Word that became flesh. This same was, the beginning, was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Who are we talking about? Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was not our sacrifice for sin only because of His perfect obedience, as if He was just a really great guy that did a lot of really great things, and He's the first one to succeed at being perfect. And so for that reason... He's our Savior. Being without sin certainly qualified Him. But He is the only one to have the right to say, I am going to buy back everything that is mine and I will pay the price of redemption so that I can again reclaim it as the Creator of all things. The fact that he lived a perfect life is almost secondary, and that's it's important, but it's almost secondary to the fact that he existed before everything, made everything, sustains everything. Perfection alone does not, does not qualify the Lord Jesus to be our Savior, but that he was in the beginning with God who created this world. Only the Creator can make right everything that has been made wrong in our world today. There can be no mistake that by him alone we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. The cross is our only hope because Christ is our only redeemer. God hath in these last days, Hebrews chapter 1. I think we are living in the last days. God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory... And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sin, the Lord Jesus, 
His death, his resurrection is now set down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the Lord Jesus. Christ alone can occupy the seat of judgment because Christ alone can reconcile creation. Christ alone can restore life in this sanctuary that we call earth. A new heaven and a new earth will be our eternal glory. Do you believe that things must be better instinctively, must be better than they are now, can be better than they are now. Hope that they could be better. Only Christ can make the eternal difference that you so desperately and instinctively know needs to be. To accept Jesus Christ, you must accept your personal responsibility to a creator, God, who sent his son Jesus, the Lord Jesus, into this world to redeem his creation. My dear friend, the Lord Jesus loves you. Not because he's a great guy and said, I'm going to do this. But because he is broken hearted as to what he has seen, we have done with his creation. He's coming soon. He could come today.